One day, there was a group of men known as the Seven Sons of Skiva. They entered a house where there was someone with a demon. They spoke to the demon and they said, come up, leave him. But the demon it comes up and speaks back. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? And of course, these seven sons of Sceva are taken aback by this. And the next thing you know, the demons overwhelm them. And the Bible story ends with these seven sons running out naked and wounded. Why did they receive this unexpected response from these demons? And why did these demons not submit? to them despite them using the name of Jesus. They found comfort in thinking that that would give them power. The question really is, what is authority in the spiritual realm? How is it attained? And what do we do with the idea of demons overpowering exorcists? Today, we're going to be looking at that story in detail and we're going to be seeing a few amazing things that Jesus draws to when he talks also in his day to the Pharisees, when they came to him about casting out demons and they accused him of doing so by the prince of demons. These stories are interlinked. I would like to start with you in Acts chapter 19, verse 11, where we read about what biblical authority is, first of all. And we see God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. You see, we see in this example that Paul had this. It seems like a gift, right? It seems like I remember when I read this the first time, it's like, wow, like, you know, people brought handkerchiefs and then they took those handkerchiefs and took it to other sick people and those people touched it and, and they got healed. And it's, it seemed to be such an incredible, powerful moment. And it is. But it also, to me at the time, seemed to be something so like out there, so far out, so something that I could only ever see happening, God doing something like that through me if I for fasted for 400 days and prayed for double that amount of time. And then maybe God could use me to be healing to others, right? That's that's how I thought about it. I don't know about you, but I started realizing that that idea that how we think of these miracles occurring in the life of Paul as being something that Paul must have done. That idea is actually what robs us of the ability for ourselves to enter that which Paul entered, because Paul understood that it's not because of what I've done or how much I've prayed, how much I fasted, how much that that is not why people are getting healed after touching the handkerchiefs I touched. Another story is how Peter's shadow, you know, they talked about bringing people, sick people to Peter just so that his shadow can touch them. And and same thing, right? It's like, wow, Peter was so powerful, we think. But what we must understand is that there is nothing that Peter or Paul had that is not available to us this day. And it is not by their works 
that the Holy Spirit moved through them. Because I want to tell you this, brothers and sisters, if it is only by how good of a person we can be, how how good we can keep the law that determines how good the Holy Spirit works through us, well, guess what? He's not working through any of us anytime soon. Because I don't know about you, but that but we fail God. We make mistakes. We transgress him. And yes, even though we should never rebel and even though we must repent of our sins, we make mistakes every day. And we must understand that in the same way we are saved is the same way we receive the Holy Spirit. The same way that you got saved by faith in Christ. That's how the Holy Spirit falls on you and works through you by your faith, not your works. Works are evidence of our faith, but they are not the thing that saves us, nor the thing that lets the Holy Spirit work through us. And now, if you can get this, and you can understand that, wow, God, Yeshua ascended. He said, it's good that I go. I'm sending a Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead comes and lives in me and works in me, not because of what I've done. Because if you think it's because of what you do, you'll try and depend on yourself and what you can do. But if you understand that it is by what he has done, then I will fully depend on his works. And then suddenly everything becomes opened up to you because you then understand that, well, it is actually by the beautiful gift that Christ has given me, that authority that he has given me, that I can enter into that walk of his and walk of Paul and walk of Peter, where the demons submit. We have this authority and this authority is something that we must understand in order to enter it. For the creation is awaiting for the sons of God to enter that identity that God has prepared for them from the beginning. In fact, it says in Romans 8 verse 19, for the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, verse 23, who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, he's talking about how there is this first fruits of the spirit. In other words, God, the, the spirit given to us is like the first taste of the new world to come that we can be a part of and taste and see now and have and become so that others can taste and see his Holy Spirit. And it is in this revealing of us as the sons of God that is what becomes healing to this world. You need to understand that in creation, Genesis 1 verse 26, God comes and he says to mankind, I give you authority over the birds in the air and the animals of all sorts and the plants and the garden to look after what I'm entrusting to you. And then, of course, we have the fall of man that happens with Adam and Eve falling in sin. And that concluded also a corruption, a fall in the creation that we were supposed to oversee. And so now with the redemption of our bodies and spirits, with Yeshua coming to die for us, redeeming us, giving us the spirit as the first fruits, giving us healing and freedom. And we become now that healing and freedom, just like we were corrupted, we become incorruptible. We become healed. Now the creation that was corrupted becomes incorruptible and healed. 
that is what we are supposed to become, this temple of living waters of life for the world around us. When you ask me, why am I talking about all of this? Because you must understand that if he has given you authority over creation, how much more has he given you authority over the enemy? To put the enemy under your feet, beneath you, for you to be an overcomer as Christ has overcome. And so this authority is what Paul understood he had. In fact, it was not just Paul and not just Peter, but many others that Christ gave this authority. In fact, he gave it to all of those who would continue to follow him and believe. Let me read to you in Luke 10 verse 17 about those 72 elders that Christ called. He says the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will hurt you. You see, he is talking about the enemy has fallen. And I'm giving you authority over him and his demons. And he goes on and he says it is. And they they came and they said it is in your name that we see that they are subject to us. So we see that the authority of Christ is given to us to exercise over unclean spirits and demons, not just to the apostles or Paul, but to those who believe. That's why it also continues in the book of Mark to say those who believe will cast out demons and heal the sick and so forth. What about those who do not believe? And what about those instances where the demons do not leave? Like the story that we started this video out with, those seven sons of Sceva. Acts 19.13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, saying, Jesus, I know, Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Something right off the bat that I need you to see that's incredible. What this story reminds me of was a time when Jesus was walking on the earth a few years before this, and he was himself casting out demons. And there were certain Pharisees of the leaderships of the religious of that day who came against him with an accusation. They said, you cause our demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. And how Jesus responds to them is pretty prophetic. In fact, it's so prophetic. I want to submit to you that it would talk to a day like this, where these seven sons of Sceva would cause or attempt to cast out demons. Jesus said the following Matthew 12, verse 27. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. 
You see, what is incredible to see here is when they came, came to accuse Yeshua of casting out demons by Beelzebub, he said, but well, by who do your sons cast them out yet? Now, of course, we don't know whether what, what he was exactly referring to. He could be referring to actual um, sons of these Jewish leaders doing exorcisms. But I want to submit to you that what we do know is that he was most certainly prophetically speaking to also refer to how their sons would be doing so in the future because we have a biblical account of where it actually happened. Because see, the irony is that these certain leaders were saying to Jesus, you're casting out demons by the prince of demons. And he says, but well, your sons will try and do that. But the fact of the matter is that they actually, all these years later, come in the book of Acts and they try and do so by the name of Jesus. They try to use his name to get these demons to leave. And it actually says that these men, these sons of Sceva, were sons of the Jewish high priest. They weren't just whoever. They were likely very close to the men who all that time ago came against Yeshua face to face, accusing him of doing this by the demons. The irony, right? So the sons of Sceva were using the name of Jesus as some secret formula, some some lucky good luck word of if we use Jesus, then they're going to listen to us. They thought that that was the secret just and, and it's easy, I guess, to think of like that, right? Because when you look at those 72 elders we just read about, what did they say? The demons are subject when we talk to them in your name, right? So we could think, oh, it's the name. It's all about the name of Jesus. And it is. But what is the name? See, many people today have gotten so caught up on pronunciations, on this is how you pronounce it, Yeshua, Yahweh, Yahushua, etc., etc., and they think it's all about that, that makes the demons tremble. But they have, they're, they're thinking in the same way of the sons of Sceva, deceived. Because the reality is that the secret is not in the formulation of words. The secret is in the character of who is behind the name of Yeshua. Who is the person of Yeshua? And the only way that you would know who that person of Yeshua is, is if you have a relationship. And that relationship with Yeshua is the secret that the sons of Sceva did not have in their arsenal. And that is why the demons rose up and said, Paul, we know. Yeshua, we know. But who are you? Because Paul had a relationship with Yeshua. Yeshua had a relationship with the Father. But these sons of Sceva, they did not know Yeshua nor his father. For if you deny the father, the son, you deny the father. And so we now see something incredible being shown here to us that your relationship with God gives you authority over unclean spirits. And it's not about a formula. It's about what happens when no one's looking. When you go into that room of yours, you get on your knees, on your face, and you praise and worship the Lord. What God are you worshiping? And is Yeshua the Prince of Peace of your life, who your knees bow to? Every knee will bow. Will you bow today or later? That's the question. Because the demons tremble, yet there are people today who do not. The demons tremble at his name. Do you? 
if you tremble at his name and not only tremble, but have good works of evidence of your salvation and faith in him, then the demons will tremble at your feet because you carry the authority of Yeshua with you. But now we're only getting started because Yeshua was only beginning here to give us a prophetic, symbolic picture of something great that I would like for you to see here. I want I want to read to you a little bit further on where Yeshua was accused of doing these things by the prince of demons, because as he explains later then in that chapter, how demons journey, he continues to say, you know, demons are going to dry places, seeking a host and they return when the house is empty and swept clean, etc. And then Yeshua says, so in Matthew 12, 45, so also will it be with this evil generation. You see, he was doing something quite strange, it seems, because he was equating how demons journey and how they work to this generation, the ones he, the people he was speaking to when they were coming to accuse him of being a prince of demons himself. But what does that mean? Why would he draw that conclusion? For us to understand that, we need to really dig a little bit deeper and find out. Matthew 12, verse 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it wanders through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none, it says. Okay. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will be with this evil generation. Now, there's a few things that I would like for you to see, because it's actually mind blowing the subtle parallels that he is drawing between explaining the characteristics of demons and how we see now this picture of the sons of Sceva who are trying to exercise, exercise demons out of people, but yet they are being described in the same manner. Let me show you what I mean. We see in Acts 19 verse 13, it says, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists came. Remember, that's what we read earlier. And that word itinerant, it's the word, the Greek word perior komai, a person who wanders from place to place without a home. Okay, so this is what these people were who were doing the the casting out of demons, these sons of Sceva. They were wandering people who were doing spiritual works without a house. But I want to submit to you that to do spiritual work without Christ, like to try and cast out demons without Christ, is to be a man without a house, is to be a man without a, without a shelter. And that's how these men were. They were exorcists trying to face demons off, but they did not have the shelter of Christ because they were doing these spiritual works without Christ. Christ is the ultimate spiritual Lord that we must all submit to and the one who we must shelter under and the one whose authority we must depend on. But because they did not, they were instead wandering people without a 
home, a shelter, if you will. The second thing that is described of these seven sons is in verse 14. It says these seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. And these seven sons, I want to submit to you, are mentioned for a reason. You know, the, the Bible doesn't just say they are seven for no reason. There's a reason for every single mention and word and characteristic. They are mentioned to be seven sons because there were also seven demons. In fact, do you remember what it said in uh, uh, when Yeshua explained? He said in Matthew 12, 45, when the spirit goes out into waterless places, it comes back and it brings back seven unclean spirits with it. What we need to understand is that if we attempt to cast out demons like these seven sons of Sceva did without the authority of the Holy Spirit, because we do not have relationship with Yeshua, what we will do is we will have the unclean spirits send reinforcements. We will we will because look, if you have a war on your eastern front of your country, what do you do? You go and you send reinforcements, even though that enemy of yours is weak, just because they are prodding, just because they are moving things, just because they're trying to do something, you send reinforcements. And that's what the enemy does is he sends reinforcements and the state of that person becomes worse than it was ever before. And that's what it said, because these demons, when the seven sons of Sceva did not over did not cause them out because they could not. The demons mastered them, overpowered them, left them wounded and naked. And the person, the state of that person was worse than it ever was. I see, brothers and sisters, when we seek deliverance, but we reject the spirit, it ends us up with nothing but more bondage. In fact, when you look at modern day New Age movements, you look at witchcraft of old, you look at even my country of my, my continent, if you will, where I come from of Africa, where witchcraft is is very popular. Sangoma's witch doctors is an everyday thing that people go to. And in these situations, people go to these witchcraft practices for freedom, for deliverance. People go to fortune tellers today for freedom, for deliverance, for guidance. And when we do these things without the Holy Spirit, without the relationship of Yeshua that he offers us, we end up with nothing but reinforcements of the enemy sent to our doorstep. While Yeshua wants to be the one who breaks every bondage and sets us free. But now why? What is it about these similarities that we are witnessing? Like the wandering of the sons of Sceva, the wanderings of the unclean spirit, the and, and, and the, the seven sons of Sceva and the seven more spirits that enter and how the last state of the person is left worse off. And then here we see also the seven sons of Sceva left that demon oppressed person let worse off than ever before. What is Christ trying to tell us? He's trying to show us that even if you desire to do something good like the sons of Sceva did, right? They, they try to cause out demons, even though they didn't have Christ. They, try, they had good intentions, I'm sure. Just like many in witchcraft today have good intentions. But the problem is 
is that ultimately if you do not do it with if you do it without Christ you cause more harm than good and without even realizing it here's the thing without even realizing you are part of the wrong kingdom you see the sons of Sceva were actually they, there's only two kingdoms to choose from they're your other part of the kingdom of darkness the kingdom of the enemy Hasatan the kingdom where the demons dwell in and work in Oh, you're a part of the kingdom of Yeshua. And the Bible tells us the kingdom of God, Yahweh, is the one that professes that Yeshua, Jesus, is Lord, Savior, King of the world and universe, and that He is has died and risen from the dead. If you profess and proclaim that you're in the kingdom of light, if you do not, you're in the kingdom of darkness, and there is no middle ground here. And ultimately, by the definition that the scriptures gives us, we must conclude that the sons of Sceva, even though their intentions may have been good, were part of the wrong kingdom and they didn't even realize it. And that's why there are similarities drawn between them and the demons themselves to show us that, look, if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, you must have the relationship with him that is required to be a part and enter that kingdom. No one comes to the Father except through the door. And that door is Yeshua, the Messiah. And this is why when Jesus explained the nature of demons and how they work and ended it with, this is how it will be with this generation. That's how he was referring to people in that generation. And of course, people who would go away with the same path today. But now the question really becomes next, whose fault is it when demons overpower, when demons return in the manners that it seems that have occurred in some of these stories and examples of Christ that he gives? There's a few things that we must understand with this. First off, as we have discussed, if there is someone who tries to cause out demons or get rid of unclean, bad spirits or bad energies or bad vibes, depending on what religion you're from, the language will be different. When we do these things without the power and authority of Christ, that relationship with him brings, we will bring in more bondage, more harm than good as the enemy will send reinforcements. In fact, I know people personally who have gone to witch doctors who have tried to get freedom from a certain disease or illness, and then they get a little better for a little while and then everything gets 10 times worse. The second thing that can happen is that we must pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit for people. When we cast our demons, we must instruct them in righteousness. We must show them the path of the Lord. And if we do not, we fail our responsibility. That person who turns from their wicked ways and walks in righteousness will create an environment that is inhospitable for demons to live in and enter. And those demons will leave and they will not come back. But then ultimately, it remains the choice of that person. If a person receives initial freedom and deliverance from demons, from sickness or whatever bondage it is, but refuse to turn from their wicked ways, refuse to repent even after hearing the good news of what Yeshua has done for them, that is their decision, even if it's not the Father's will. And so it is our responsibility to show people 
the truth, to exercise our authority, to instruct them in righteousness, to cause out the demons. But then it is their decision on what they do with all of that. And the unfortunate reality is some people will choose this way. Some people will choose that way. But now this story in the book of Acts that we have been reading ends in a beautiful note, even though it seems kind of strange that, you know, we have these sons of Sceva having this failed deliverance, the demon overpowering them. There is even still good fruit that comes from this. I mean, this is the incredible, unimaginable power of God. We read, for example, after this evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who are you? We see that these demons doing this actually becomes a sign to the world of witchcraft that these men, people in Ephesus are around. In fact, it says that this became known to all the residents in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all in the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Despite the plans of the enemy, despite what he desired to do, we see that the, the father still had his way. And we had people who were in witchcraft in that day in the city of Ephesus come forward and burn their books. You see what this tells us? is that people who are who have that background of the new age of witchcraft of of whatever all other dark matters or spiritual religions that talk with unclean spirits whether they know it or not what they need is to witness the power that is in the name of Jesus in the name of Yeshua in the person of the Messiah and it is in the witnessing of how the demons were subject to his name, how the demons say, we know Jesus, we know Paul, that these people were struck with a fear because ultimately they understand that there is a spiritual realm. There's no use in trying to tell them there isn't. There's no use in trying to tell them that there is no other powers at play because we know that there are powers of darkness at play. But what they need to witness is that there is a name above every name that there is a power above all powers, that there is a one true God to which every knee will bow. And when they realize that, perhaps they could decide for their knees to bow to. I hope that this episode of the Acts series has blessed you. If you are one of those who feel like, wow, is there actually a one true God? I invite you to ask him to reveal himself to you. And Father, I pray right now for anyone listening who wants to with experience you in any deeper way, that you would come, Holy Spirit, onto their, into their houses, into their families, and you would encounter them with the truth, with the beauty of your Son, with your power and dreams and visions, and show them, Lord, how demons are subject to your name. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, it's time for us to rise up and exercise our authority over the enemy, just like Christ died for us to have. He died not to just get you into heaven. He died to get you authority over demons, authority over the plans of the enemy but what help is it that we we know it we we talk about it but we don't exercise it go and cause out demons in this world there is no lack of them operating behind the scenes go forward ask the lord to teach you and show you to grow in this area 
and understand it's not by your works that the demons are are ready to submit to you because of the authority that rests on you because of Christ that has given it. I want to say a special thank you to our partners who have made this episode and every other teaching this month possible. If you want to join in partnering with us, you can find out more on riseonfire.com. We'll see you guys in the next one. Shalom. Shalom.